around the existence of trying to better understand how to teach through a pandemic, because that's where we're in now. And there are so many different models, so many different challenges. And so if we can just kind of talk our way through this, I believe it might be helpful in allowing parents, students, administrators, teachers to better understand how to do this. Now, I know that we're not the end-all, be-all, but we do have some experience here and we have some excellence here. So let's share what we can. And I'm going to start with an opening question. And this is going to be something that I want each and every one of you to give your thoughts on. And that first question is, what are the benefits? We talk about the pandemic and what it has done to us that turns everything around and has turned everything upside down. But I still think there's got to be some benefit. So what are the benefits for virtual, face-to-face, or blended or simultaneous? Choose whichever one you want. And we're going to start with the lady first. What do you think? difficulty. So if you hear us popping in and out, that's what it is. But we're going to go ahead because we're not going to let um, the the technology that we're supposed to be getting better with make us worse. Okay. So now let's go with, uh, let's go with Carrie. What do you think, uh, Mr. Hargett? Uh, While you were saying all this, I'm trying to think the benefit, I think the biggest benefit that I'm getting from this is with the kids they're just happy to be able to talk and communicate with their fellow classmates. You know, we've been sheltering in place since March, and I think they were chopping at the bits to be able to engage other kids and have discussions. So I think they need that outlet of the virtual instruction because 
they need that because right now, you know, they're missing out on the face-to-face, but I think they miss the just the interaction of going to games, going to classes, eating lunch together. They miss that, you know. So this is sort of a substitute. And I know in terms of face-to-face, I don't know when we're going to be doing face-to-face, you know. So, And I just tell the kids that I, I understand what they're going through, you know, of not being able to leave the house because I think they're just – they're tired of it. Some of them really would like to come back, but some of them, and I think uh, Miss McKenzie get on it. Some of them have adapted to the flexibility of the virtual instruction, and I think it's less stressful for some of the kids. So it, it, that's some plus and minuses to it. But I've seen it work both ways. Some kids are ready to come back, and some are really benefit from, you know, maybe they, they don't like the crowd. They just like being able to get their work done and, and have peace of mind. Dr. Ghani, tell us from the Ivy Towers, what do you think? Well, I think, you know, there's, there are benefits for all uh, areas, you know, starting with face-to-face. Uh, our students with face-to-face, they, they get the opportunity to interact. Teachers get to interact with them. And, you know, ultimately, many of our students really look forward to going back to that. But, you know, we have to be safe. Uh, uh, when it comes to the virtual environments, I think first thing is, you know, clarifying this year versus last year. Uh, when we went out last year, March 12th, uh, we really didn't do virtual teaching throughout the state of Georgia. We did, you know, kind of pandemic emergency type of uh, teaching because educators across the state, we weren't really ready. Uh, but the new virtual instruction uh, counties, Fulton County, uh, Clayton County, the teachers have been trained. Uh, we're pushing out uh, laptops for all the students in Clayton County, and I know Fulton County had already pushed that out. Uh, so we do have some benefits to the virtual. Uh, there is that flexibility, but I think it's also something that where we've so often had students in rows uh, we've had students in a classroom setting learning a particular way our students have had to stretch their mindsets and how they learn and our teachers have really had to stretch how they teach and how acclimated they are with technology and how they utilize technology to where i think ultimately when we get back to a blended approach or eventually we just get back to post-pandemic when we have students who are able to be there face-to-face, teachers will be able to use elements of this virtual instruction to to make for a better education, better educational outcomes, and everybody will be stronger for it. Uh, But uh, realizing when we get to the, uh, the challenges, there are many, many challenges for the virtual, and that that starts with it being very, very difficult for the teacher particularly. Yeah, we're going to get there. Trust me, we're we're going there. But for right now, I just want to I just want to know, um, Josh, what do you think about some of the benefits of teaching through a pandemic? There's got to be some everything can't be bad. So what do you think are some of the highlights and some of the things that we've learned from teaching through a pandemic? Well, well, I mean, I definitely feel like the convenience you know, some you can't beat the convenience for me, especially with uh, my kids, especially being that 
you know, I travel a lot now, they can travel with me being that, you know, it's virtual. So mm. that right there is definitely a, a you know, a, a plus. Um, and not only that, instead of me having to wait for them to come home with the books and so on and so forth, I'm like, well, how did the teacher explain it to you? Now, you know, they're, they give them the lesson, but they also record it. So if I have a question, I can have them play it back for me so I can see exactly what was said, you know, to help them try to understand if they don't understand. So, you know, for me, those are two big things that uh, really benefit. Yeah, I, I I see some benefits in in this. And because there are, um, here's my other question. And either one of y'all can jump in on this one. Um, so this ideal of a new normal. Um, and there are some benefits. It fits some people. Some people are not uh, really going along with it. They're fighting tooth and nail. Some are some are loving it, ganging it. So what do we do now? Do we stay with the new normal? Or do we go back into our traditional thing? Which one you think? I don't think we could completely go back to what's considered traditional. We're not in because Kansas anymore? <laughs> challenged me to kind of to have to think bigger and think differently and also consider some things that I didn't consider before and I don't know if you're going to get to this question for example like I knew that students had issues at home but now in some cases I can actually see them I literally mm. can see it yeah. I can literally see them bouncing a baby on their lap trying to watch my my algebra one lesson I can see it so I don't know that we can go back to completely traditional because there were some things that traditionally weren't working and we didn't consider because we teach to our level of success. So that may not be a level of success for our students. So we have to teach to our level of success, but also consider what they might value as success and kind of try to meet in the middle if that makes sense. Yes. Yes. What do you think, Doc? Do we just keep pushing forward now? Or do we say, whoa, wait a minute. We got some good stuff back here that we still need to go back and deal with. Well, I think Ms. McKissick uh, really hit it on the head that we have to go back into the building eventually. Uh, you know, really, in, in Clayton, for instance, you know, we have not set a date for when we're going to go back yet, but we're still looking at the data. But eventually we will uh, and other metro counties some of which have even lower data than we are are going back but I, I think we're being very sensible and we're being very safe eventually we'll have to go back but I think when we go back we take some of the best of what we've learned through this virtual experience and we're able to integrate technology into our instruction use some blended learning uh, even from the perspective of professional learning uh, for our teachers and meetings for our teachers. Hey, wow, we don't all have to come to the faculty, to the uh, media center for a meeting like we used to, <laughs> or every, every staff meeting, or uh, go to a particular classroom for every collaborative planning. Uh, we can do some things flexibly, we can do some things in the evening, uh, but similarly for our teachers, 
really having to be stretched. Uh, we're seeing some of the strengths and talents of, of our kids and some of the comfort level of our kids with technology that I think when we come back, we want to be careful not to go back to what was the old normal. Uh, if we're going to create uh, a normal, we want it to be uh, kind of a hybrid of, of what we've learned with what we had. So we are we thinking fusion now, taking the good from the past and infusing that into our future? Is that what we're talking about, Carrie? I think it's possible, and I, I love what everybody said so far, but um, at some point I agree with Dr. Guy. we got to go back in the building because what a lot of people don't realize, and I think uh, Ms. McKissick said it best, for some kids, school is an escape. We don't know what kids are going through at home. And I always tell people every school year, I always worry about what's happening to my students during the summertime or during breaks when they're not getting enough to eat or they're being abused. So at some point, I think it's best to have them back in the building. But all, but we know, but we know all the kids aren't being abused and, That's true. and mistrusted, but right? still need that interaction. Yeah. I still I, we benefit from that social interaction of being of being around each other and taking and accepting different people, different views and beliefs. Yeah, but see now, but here's the thing, right? So how many times have we said um, to our kids or to the kids that's in school, you come here to learn. You ain't coming here to make friends. I don't say that. Oh, okay. Because I teach them that. You got, you got, hey, you got to have friends in class because who you gonna get the notes from? If you <laughs> <laughs> you well, I'm just being honest. You got to learn how to talk to people who are different from you. What did you say, Josh? Come on, Josh. Right? Really? You you going hey, for I, that? I honestly, I like the the virtual side of it, but I I gotta agree, with Mr. Hargit. They do need that social interaction between their peers. That's a very important aspect of growing up, maturing, and everything else. Because I mean, well, you you know, you dealt with plenty of athletes that that don't know how to socialize properly. They can't tell you how they feel or what they like. You know, because they haven't had that interaction with their peers where you have to learn how to have a conversation, how to don't like. So for me, that's a very important aspect of it. Now, I don't feel like it should be solely all bad classroom. So, I mean, in a sense, I do agree it should be kind of blended where you get a little bit of both. Okay, so uh, I, I'm going to be the old fogey. I'm going to be the old fogey and remember back in the day, where um, we had friends in our neighborhood and we didn't have to go to school to have friends. Friends live next door. So this whole social thing, like, like school is the thing. And then after we got out of uh, school, we would go to the mall and hang out with who? Our friends. And so this whole idea about being in school to have friends, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm not buying that one. Y'all like to give me a little bit more on that. You also went outside. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. We need diversity, Coach. And that, when I say that, I should maybe I should have said it that way. Oh, okay, okay. You need the diversity. You need to learn how to get along with people who have different thoughts, different views, who don't look exactly like you. 
can't just be an island by yourself because you'll never grow. You'll never mature. Now, let's think about the parents. Now, I heard Josh say he, he likes some of the, the aspect of virtual. Maybe he has the flexibility to have his kids travel with him and do that. But a lot of the parents, they got to go to work. I know I sound like a politician. <laughs> but it's going to be hard for some of these parents to, to, work, to do virtual learning yeah. two or three days a week. What if you got to be at work at six and your shift don't end until four, or three or four? Maybe you're working a little overtime. I mean, those are the things I've been thinking about because I know some of my students have additional responsibilities now because their parents are working. Look, they're essential workers. They can't just call out. They got to go to work. And now we have class. Our students are helping teach class, teach their who made Who made teachers essential workers? I didn't say teachers. Okay. 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 We don't go there. Go ahead, Miss McKissick. Okay. So two things. So one thing is we started students coming back face to face. So, but I've had at the most three kids in the class. And what's happening is that kids who sign up for face to face are actually changing their mind and switching back to remote because they don't they're not getting the social part that they thought they would get because we can't they can't interact like they normally do they can't um lunch is so spread out um you know you have to follow the the, the arrows in the hallway and you have to go a certain like one direction hallways mm-hmm. and so some of the kids they're like, okay, this is not what I thought it was going to be, so I'm going to go back to, you know, remote. And then on the parent side of it, that has really been my only level of somewhat of some stress has been figuring out what to do with my youngest child because it has changed from week to week. Um, we, could, we had to teach remotely from our classroom. So I'm like, okay, so what do I do with my child who's also remote first grade? So then it's like, well, your kids can come and work with you. So then I'm like, okay, well, I'm teaching ninth grade on this computer. She's doing first grade over here. And at one point, my husband had all three of the kids with him. So he had three grade levels and teaching. And so then it went to, okay, well, we got a week's notice. Your kids can't come back. And I'm like, whoa, okay, so what do I do with my kid now? So then next week, we all go face-to-face. And I'm planning for her to go face-to-face. But now it's, oh, well, they may not have after-school care. Okay, well, at the time she gets out, I'm teaching algebra. So what do I do with her? So that has been, really, that's been my my issue. Like, I, the other stuff, I just kind of got through it the best way I could. But the stuff that has really, like, boggled my mind or kind of stressed a little bit was figuring out what to do with my child. You mean what to do with your child as a teacher? Uh, Dr. Guy, help us out. She got issues. Help her out. It's a, it's a challenge. You know, it's definitely <laughs> a challenge because, uh, you know, at, a, at some point we do have to come back and we're making plans to come back. But, uh, you know, and, and Clayton will be there eventually, you know, with what Fulton is doing in some way, shape, or form. Uh, and we know that it's going to be challenging because when students are coming back to the building, Teachers have to come back to the building, uh, and you know. Uh, but hopefully, we're going to provide enough notice uh, by planning in advance that we're not just turning a switch. Because we know that our teachers uh, have lives, and you know, have have children to take care of as well. But 
you know, it is, it is a challenge. Uh, I want to go back to something that uh, Mr. Hargett said, though, as it relates to the socialization of school. Um, you know, we, we'll get back to school at some point. We don't know when it will be because this pandemic is unpredictable and we're getting ready to get into flu season. Uh, the vaccine's not out yet. When the vaccine does come out, uh, I'm going to need Dr. Fauci to uh, say it's good before I take it. Uh, I, I can't just listen to anybody. Uh, but Fauci says it's good. I'm on the way. Uh, Mr. Hargit, I'll send you a text. We, we, we go to Walgreens and get it. But uh, really, when it comes down to it, when we do get back to school, I think the, the socialization is the piece the kids are missing because even us as adults, you know, I, I graduated high school 30 three years ago. Uh, so my K through 12 education was mostly 35 years and beyond ago, but my memories of my K through 12 education are not of a standard that I learned in fourth grade math or a concept that I learned in 10th grade ELA or a specific fact that I learned from a specific teacher in history. My memories are those things that happened in class, those things that were funny that a teacher did or said, uh, the socialization, the interactions with other kids, uh, and that's the piece that, uh, and, and, and a variety of different kids, because I had friends in the neighborhood, but, uh, you know, neighborhoods were different back then, too, uh, because, you know, I grew up in New York, and I could just get on the bike and go to my friend's house and be home before dinner. Mm -hmm. uh, but but our world is different now, and even the kids, the socialization, you know, kids are kids are able to to socialize a bit now through technology, uh, but they're really not able to get out and see each other face to face without being six feet apart and wearing masks, which is totally different too. Gotcha. Um, so now, Josh, um, I want to come at you in a, in a different light because. You are a parent, and then I, I, I want to come at Hargett. No, 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 I'll come back to uh, Guy, Dr. Guiney, because as an administrator, um, but you are a parent. And you got kids, they're still in school now, right, your son? Yeah, mine are uh, 12 and, and 15, so 7th grade and ninth grade. Okay, so let's do Josh and Carrie on this question. For you, for you, Josh, what does a safe return to face-to-face -to -face looks like for you and your kids? That's a good question. Um, I don't really know if I can actually put into words what a safe return uh, for my kids back to school would look like. I mean, of course, I would want them to be safe. You know, and uh, of course, I would uh, expect it. Honestly, I really don't know because with you know, one day they're saying that hey, it's not airborne; it is airborne. You know, you need to wear your mask. You need to be six feet apart. Um, you know, it's constantly changing, and the virus itself is evolving. So, honestly, I really don't know how it would really be possible. I'm I'm curious to see how they can make it safe especially with the way the classroom sizes used to be. You know, I get it now when you're having two, three, or four kids there, but when you have a full classroom, how are you going to social distance? You know, I, I catch it trying to keep my girls and 
my son with their face with their mask on now. So I can imagine how hard it be for you guys in a classroom with a ten or twelve kids trying to keep them with their face mask on. So until they really get either a good vaccine or that it's some sort of cure or something for it, I don't really think that it will ever get back to what we would call normal. Mr. Hargett, what's a safe return for you and your kids? Now, that's a complicated question. I have to agree with Josh. It's going to take a lot. Right now, I know as the teachers are just as concerned as the parents and the students are. And in order for us to get back in the building, I think the first thing is I would ask myself, how are we going to handle the cleaning? I know right now the custodial staff, you know, if it was a normal school, normal times, they have a lot on their plate. How are we going to do constant deep cleanings? That's the first thing. Then I'm wondering, are we going to reduce class sizes? Are we going to have like split schedule? Like maybe some of the kids come during daytime hours and maybe some teachers will be willing to teach class at night to keep class sizes down. You know, so I've been thinking about all that. I mean, but my big thing, my biggest worry would be how are we keeping the building clean? Are we going to make, are the kids going to be vaccinated? And when I do say vaccinated, I mean, I know there's no vaccine for the COVID, but like I've been telling my friends, we've been taking flu shots forever. Now, all of a sudden you're an anti-flu shot. I mean, you could get a flu shot right now to protect yourself and your family. If we come back, I would at least expect, expect that because you guys know, like I know, we have to also tell the parents, if your child is sick, you know, keep your child home, especially this time of the year. But I think my biggest worry is still how often they're going to clean. Are we going to be given masks, hand sanitizer, and other things to keep the building clean? And I think that, those are just a couple of the worries that I worry about. And are we gonna, how are we going to do the class sizes? So they have enough space. Okay, I, I, I didn't talk to enough of these guys. Come on, Leanne, tell us, tell us as a mother, as a mother, what, what's a safe return? Because they, well, they don't, I don't know I about them. What we're, as far as the cleaning, right now, um, we're cleaning in between classes. The desk that the students use, uh, the teachers are, so we were provided with masks and we got face shields, sanitizer, cleaning spray, cloths. All of that, we have signs to block off certain desks that students can't sit in. Um, the students that the desks that students do sit in, we clean those. Uh, we clean the light switches. We so we clean our classroom, and then the custodial staff takes care of the deep cleaning of all the other areas. Um, and so, one thing they had to do is they had to extend our transition time. So we have about 12 to 15 minutes between each block. So that allows for us to clean and then have time to greet our face-to-face -face students and also gives our virtual students time to go to the restroom, grab a snack and things like that. So, so far that has been okay. But like I said, like one day we were expecting 300 students face-to-face, -face, but only a hundred of them showed up. So, um, we haven't gotten to the point where what to do if all of our desks are filled, but right now we are like at probably three feet. Um, and the CDC said for a classroom, that was okay. I don't know why, but whatever. Um, so we are about three feet. Um, I feel 
safe with um, Amani returning to school um, next week. Um, she does what she keeps her face mask on, and I really I ha- I have to feel safe because I don't have another choice. So I had to. I, so that's really what it is for me. I don't have another choice um, because my husband and I both work in school. The, the option would be to stay home and only get sixty percent of my pay, but I don't. I need all my pay. I need a hundred percent of my pay. So I have to pray and cover her, and I put her oils on her feet and I send her. But then she also is sensitive to the mask. So I've been doing all this, you know, clearing, getting her cleared up from the mask because of, um, so she, her skin's really sensitive. So her having the mask on and the CO2 and everything is causing her to have a reaction. So now it's going to be, she's going back in the building. She's going to have that mask on, um, a lot longer. So now it's just going through that again with her having to deal with people. Like when, when she's out of school, they're asking her, well, why do you have, you know, what happened to your face and things like that. So I feel safe because I don't have another choice. Um, but like I said, if, if we're cleaning like we are supposed to, I don't know what we're going to do if we if we have more than the students show up. Like what I was told was, well, take the sign off that says, don't sit here and let them sit there. Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, and then what? <laughs> so, well, yeah. Can I back off to something Miss McKenzie said that I, I, I've been thinking? The bigger question is, are the parents going to feel comfortable enough to send their kids back? That's the, isn't that the biggest question? Because I hear that every time I talk to parents of, like, my former students who are parents now in different counties, they're, they're, they don't feel comfortable. They're worried about sending them back. So it could be, like she said, you may have think you're going to get 300 kids, and all of a sudden, now you only get 100, and then the kids yeah. you get. If they're not getting the interaction that they're expecting, we may almost by default fall back into virtual instruction because no, because we don't have a vaccine. We don't have nothing to, to guarantee that it's going to stop the spread. I mean, like you said, we could do the deep cleaning, but you still parents are still thinking it's in the air. My child can still catch it. Yeah, I feel comfortable. And if the parents don't feel comfortable, I mean, that's what I was going to ask. That's what. That's why I wanted to ask Josh. That's why I wanted. That's why I wanted to ask Josh because you've got um, little ones, middle-sized ones, and a little older ones. How how good are they in terms of keeping their mask on and understanding how to social distance and how to wash or use sanitizer? You know your your girls. Um, how mm, how astute are they to how important that is? Uh, well, honestly, the mask thing, it, it's, uh, I think we went through probably 20,000 masks. <laughs> they lose them, they leave them, they forget them. My youngest, she will break it so she won't have to wear it, but she don't understand I always got an extra. Um, now, the sanitizing things of their hands, they will do that on the regular. Now, they do have a tendency to get closer than six feet, and then they will remember, and they'll be like, okay, well, we got to spread out a little bit. But, I mean, I've realized when we do get around, like, my nephew or our uh, the other siblings and things like that, and they're playing, they instantly forget. 
they forget and they forget quick. You know, they forget about the sanitizer, the mask, um, the social distancing. So it's one of those things when they see their friends that they haven't been able to see, you know, in a while, how they're going to respond. You know, I get it. We try to, you know, in a sense, drill it in them. Hey, stay six feet. Don't shake hands. Don't hug, you know. But, you know, I got four girls. They like to hug. You know, and I'm like, hey, no hugging. I try to even influence them. Hey, don't hug me because, you know, I've been in this warehouse all day or I've been in this classroom all day. I've been wherever. I know you want to hug me, but, you know, let me get out of these clothes and do all this other stuff. And then, you know, maybe we can hug then. But so it's it's a constant battle. So that's why, you know, I'm hesitant because I'm like, all right, I see how you guys are interacting with my nephew and all this other stuff. And I think it. I don't think it will ever be normal again, but like you said, I think it will get to a point where where there can where it can be sanitized enough and it can be clean enough where people will start to feel that it's okay to send them back. I'm not saying that it's gonna happen this month or next month, but eventually, you know, they're gonna be able to kind of contain it to the point where it will be safe for kids to go back. Hey Dr. Garden, um Think, think about this for a minute, and I know mm, this is a question that's going to require a little snoozing on your part, um, because I believe that there is a a, um, a policy um, that you are well, are well aware of, and um, but then there are some questions that I hear from my young adult parents that go along the lines of, okay, well, we don't have all of this stuff. And how's my kid going to be graded? And what's this ideal of assessing? And how can you assess a kid when we got all these issues and challenges? And what are we going to do? Just go ahead and pass them? Or are we going to hold them back? So what's the real kind of... Give us a... You know, snooze it. Do the policy thing. But let us know what you think in terms of how kids are going to be or ought to be assessed. assessment policy and guidance for our teachers and I think Mr. Hargit would be able to speak to this as well but really that during this pandemic that we're not putting in zeros that we're putting in eyes when students are not completing work so we're having a little bit of forgiveness as it relates to that uh, more forgiveness than we've ever had probably before I think one of the things that that we take can what when we created our policy for virtual instruction, uh, Richard Woods, the state superintendent, wrote an open letter talking about during this pandemic, you know, we've got to focus on compassion over compliance. So we have to be flexible. Uh, and as leaders, you know, when I'm talking with my principals and the principals are talking with teachers, trying to find ways where we can encourage and provide kids with every opportunity to be successful. Um, it is a challenge, though, because we know that in some cases, you know, uh, before we began the session, you know, we were talking and, uh, you know, we were talking about cases where we extend every opportunity possible and then those students are not coming forward. Uh, in, in those regards, you know, if we've exhausted every effort, if we've, if we've uh, tried, we've made contact, we've practice that forgiveness but we get to the finish line and the kids have not done the work 
then there may be some cases where they, their grades may have to reflect that. Uh, but also from the state perspective, you know, the state is waiving uh, promotion and retention requirements as related to the EOC and the uh, GMAS this year because of just knowledge of this, this pandemic um, and, and the challenges that we face. You know, you guys are also seeing probably in the news where uh, the state superintendent wanted the uh, EOCs not to count 20%. He was trying to, uh, he, he proposed that they count uh, 0.01%. Wow. Uh, and now the state is, uh, you know, he, he presented that uh, essentially in rebuke of the uh, federal government saying that we had to give GMAS assessments this year because the state was, was asking for us not to have to give them. Uh, Richard Woods, you know, and, and his team created a waiver for that. So, you know, we're trying to be, be mindful of those things. Uh, you know, we'll see where the state lands on those things, but just knowing that, you know, we have to, we have to get through this period and, you know, grades are still important, but they're not really as important as getting through this in, you know, a healthy and whole manner. So, uh, you know, it, it is a challenge. Uh, we want our kids, we want to assess our kids, uh, but we also don't want to assess them in a punitive manner. Okay, so uh, Mr. Hargit. Mr. Hargit is a former teacher of the year. And this brother had people come into his class um, because I think not only was he a great teacher, but they were scared. <laughs> so, <laughs> so brother Hargit, what you gonna do now? You gonna give Grace grades, or you gonna hold their feet to the fire? Well, I, I think it's possible to do both, but like Mr. Ghani has said, these are extraordinary circumstances, and I have shown more empathy and compassion than I probably ever shown. So yeah. <laughs> they'll look at me and be like, Hargit. That's Mr. Hargit? What's <laughs> wrong with you? It ain't the Hargit I know. But what I'm learning is right now, the way everything's going, like Mr. Gotti has said, teachers have to be flexible, and you got to show some empathy and some compassion. And if you're not willing to do that, like I just had a conversation with my, my students. We've been working on a financial literacy component in my class, and they've had since August to do seven modules, and some of them still haven't completed it. And I give them, and I keep extending the time, and I keep telling them, I'm showing you empathy and compassion, but at some point, I'm going to have to hold your feet to the fire. I'm giving you time to work on it, and I'm going to tell you when it's due. And if you haven't done it, I may not show you that sympathy, but I'm going to keep encouraging them to do the work. I don't want to give it right now. I know, like, just since your telecast, with this cat, the internet goes out. I have that happen every day, and I can't penalize that kid because the, the internet will go out. I've had parents email me during, like, I'm presenting and teaching the class, and then I might look at my email while the kids are working on their own, and the parent is telling me, well, our internet is not acting right. And, and that happens a lot. All it takes is rain or something is happening with their hotspot, so they're having problems. So right now, when I assess, I'm flexible. I'm just, I'm letting them make it up, turn it in late, and I mean, I had to get out of that you know, I had to get about my comfort zone of being <laughs> iron fist. Like, hey, I'll take it. And 
that's what I'm doing now. I just, if it's late, I take it. I work with them. And they always tell me what's going on with them. I accept it. And, you know, I'll go with that. I mean, but right now, now is not the time to be rigid with these kids. You know, like we said, we've talked about all the little things they're going through. And then you want to make an assessment, <laughs> what, 15 to 20% of their grade. And I will admit, to get Mr. Gotti laughing, I was very disappointed when I heard they canceled the economics, EOCT, economics and the course test. I was looking forward to get my scores up <laughs> and, and over at Forest Park. And when I heard that they weren't going to take the test, I was a little down. But, <laughs> but I'll let it go. But, yeah, we can't be rigid right now. Now. I like the sound of that. Leanna, what, what, how's your grading going? <laughs> I still have to get my EOC, though, but it's all good. Oh, you know, I'm it. Algebra 1 has to, but um, I haven't even, I'm just teaching, and I haven't even, I'm not beating them over the head about a test. Um, I'm going I'm to teach the content. We're going to interact with the content, and, you know, however we can, and when we get to the test, you know, we'll take the test and go from there. <laughs> and I just don't think it's fair. I mean, if we were doing face-to-face, -face, more face-to-face -face instruction, I probably would feel comfortable giving them that test. But the way we're doing it now, I, I, I just don't feel like it's right. So, Josh, don't hey Josh, 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 don't this kind of seem like they they shortchanging your kid? Oh, I'm out. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna say in the in the, a, a little bit. Just, I mean, I get it. You know, it is these are you know really strange <laughs> times. But uh, I will say this. Um, like I have, which one is it? Julie? Not Julie. Gabby. Her teacher sent her some math words, and I'm like, hey, this is how you do it. Blah 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 blah. She said no. You got to do it this way. They got uh, the way that they're teaching things now is completely different from how they were teaching it when we were in school. So I, I mean, I understand. I, I do feel like I understand why he says that he's not gonna be as iron fist as he was. But um, yeah, you do feel a little bit like you're being cheated, you know. <laughs> but hey, you know, I get over it. I get over it. Say, Daniel, you got an A. <laughs> I know you, Daniel. <laughs> you did a good job, son. <laughs> so let me ask y'all this. And um, then I'll, hopefully I'll try to sew this up and put a button on it. So we know that this pandemic has created some, some changes, um, some things that we really have to look at and think about as it relates to education. But bottom line, we know that there's going to be some laxity in our education come May 2021. And they're not going to have all the information. They're not going to have all the things that they're supposed to need. But based upon what y'all talking about, they're going to have friends. But I'm thinking about from an educational standpoint and an academic standpoint, they're not really going to have it. So or not, they won't have all that they should have. So in 21-22 school year, how do we make up that difference? And I'm going to go to Doc Garney, and you tell me a little bit about it, and then we'll let the others jump in. Uh, 
you know, it's going to be challenging. There's there's no uh, easy recipe for it, but, you know, we can't really just necessarily fall onto remediation because we have to continue with the curriculum. So I'll give an example. You know, Ms. McKissick is, is teaching Algebra 1. She's teaching ninth graders Algebra 1. Uh, but when we get to this time next year, she's going to have a new group of ninth graders that rolled up from eighth grade. Uh, and, you know, the eighth grade won't have that benchmark expectation that the kids necessarily passed the eighth grade GMAS. Uh, there's probably going to be some gaps that she's going to have. Uh, similarly with uh, Mr. Hargan and every other teacher, but she's not going to be able to spend just two months of reviewing old math before she begins the ninth grade curriculum. She's got to begin the ninth grade curriculum she's going to have to identify those gaps and do some mini lessons do some differentiation uh utilize some of the technology and this blended learning that is more in her toolbox than it ever was before uh, and really push because what, what we find is if we focus too much on remediation uh our students have that remediation mindset. We want to focus on continuing to have high expectations, do some remediation when necessary, but let's accelerate uh, and let's set the bar high. Um, it's not, not a magic formula for that, and it's different in every subject. Uh, it's a little bit more linear, uh, linear when it comes to math and ELA. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit different when you, when you get to uh, some of the science courses and social studies, for instance, you know, Mr. Hargit's teaching econ and uh, his kid's going to come to him possibly with some gaps from U.S. history. Uh, and it may or may not be as pertinent in his content area, but he's a great teacher and he cares about the kids and educating kids. So he's going to try to fill in those gaps anyway, uh, just because that's who he is. So you know, the dedication of our teachers is going to be critical, uh, but really we don't want to focus entirely on remediation. We've got to move forward, but we also have to try to identify and fill the gaps when we can. Filling those gaps, Ms. McKissick, filling those gaps, is that an additional burden for you now? Um, no, it's not an additional burden um, because we actually, because, you know, we had to fill in what happened from March to May. Uh, so there, so what we did is pretty much we looked at, okay, what should have been taught from March to May, and then where does that fit in my ninth grade curriculum? So that I'm not necessarily um, giving them something completely different or making more work for myself, because I was gonna have to give them a diagnostic anyway. So now, instead of me saying, okay, here's two weeks or a month or two months to review everything you missed from eighth grade, we're finding where does it fit in Algebra 1's Unit 1. So what from eighth grade did they miss? Okay, let's spiral that in right here. Okay, let's look at Unit 2. Unit 2 is all about solving. So I know they missed some stuff with solving equations. That's going to be built right in with Unit 2. Okay, let's go to Unit 3. So looking at it unit by unit, you know, what could they have needed? What did they need for this unit that they didn't get? So I don't look at it as something extra for me. Um, one thing with iReady, we use iReady. Um, this was our first year using it, but it was it's helpful because although it doesn't have high school lessons, most of, I'm saying most, well, I guess in my case, most of my students 
didn't are not working on that high school level of math anyway. So what's happening is my students who are on an algebra level who tested on that, I'm able to do something with them, but then my students who tested on a, a eighth grade level or a sixth grade level, in some cases the fourth grade level, they have something that's for them as well. And so that's what they do for homework. And so we kind of make like a contest who has the most minutes and I ready. And what's happening is they're playing these games, but they're actually filling in those gaps. So that way it's not a whole nother lesson for kids to have to sit through and a whole nother lesson for me to have to plan. Okay, but now see, okay, see now y'all doing this again. So, so here we go, okay? Because <laughs> see, y'all thinking, Y'all know education is building blocks. And it starts from the bottom and everything builds. And when you get to high school and you're ninth, eighth, seventh, you kind of understand how this process of teaching and learning goes as a student. And then you move on to college, it's even more, uh, it's easier for you to grasp what you need to do in order to learn. So I'm an elementary school teacher, right? So I'm talking about this kid that we having difficulty with sight words at skinny gardeners. And now they're going to go to first grade and second is going to third grade and that building block may be missed. So how do we now just pick them up and say, oh, well, you'll catch it later in the fourth grade and we'll fill in the gaps. See, well, let me see, see this. Cool. okay, well, no, wait, 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 wait a minute. Let me see this. I'm sorry. I mean, yeah, let me let me say this, Coach. Ultimately, oh, and I thought about all this. At some point, every school district is possibly going to have to offer some type of remediation. Okay. Just to just to touch, so they can get some some extra help on maybe the things they missed. And, and you know, like she said, they've been out since March, and then they come back, and you can't do math. Look worksheets and online you have to be there where the teachers go over all the formulas and everything right coach and and i've been telling people that at some point we may have to offer some type of remediation i mean it may be a teacher who cares may do it or the county may just have to put in a little supplemental program to help those kids so we can get them to the next level to make sure they have everything that they need i know like mr county said and I know Miss McKissick is just like me. I went above and beyond. I, I offered my kids incentives and everything to come to tutorial. That's one reason they came, Coach. And I and I had a standard. But they came for the extra help, and they were rewarded because they scored high on the milestone. So I did all the extra work. And I think some teachers will do that. But you also need to have something in place just so, like, I'm willing to do it. You may need a teacher who may have to have an incentive to, part, to take part of that remediation or offer a person to stay out there and work additional hours. But I think we're going to have to give some type of remediation to some of these kids, especially in science and math. Yeah. Maybe we, I think science and math, you guys have a little more pressure than social studies does in my eyes. And I think those are the kids that I've, I've been worried about. Did they miss high yeah. Go from algebra one now. Next, what's after algebra one? Geometry. Geometry. Yeah. Whole semester of algebra one. Now I'm putting you in geometry. How's that work? Are they yeah. getting anything extra? So right now we do remediation on Tuesdays. So we shorten the class. We shorten the class blocks on Tuesdays. So then um, we use Tuesdays for remediation right now. That's 
what we do right now until we can um and then there also there's another program because we do have students who are still who are considered homeless um and so we are offering um some tutorial for them as well but yeah it's i, I guess it's not a one-all yeah. fit all type of thing so you know the i ready will individualize it because the reality is my first grader she's working on a first grade level in math but i have some students doing the same lessons that she's doing so you know we have to also consider the fact that there were gaps there were gaps before the pandemic so we exactly. have to um you know consider that as well but at the end of the day we still got to fill the gap whether they got them pre-covid or during COVID, we still have to do what we can to support them in those gaps. Fantastic. So here's what I want us to do now, because we're coming to the end of our, our program. Um, I want you to think about maybe a thought that we didn't touch on, that we missed, or something that you want to express um, that might be helpful for us to better understand teaching through a pandemic. Um, we start. We ended off with Josh, so we'll begin with you. If you got an idea that you want to convey, or question you might want to ask, or a feeling that you might want to give us. Um. Well, my, my I guess the biggest question for me would simply be. I mean, I, I don't understand how you guys do it. I couldn't be a teacher. I mean, I, I'm just going to put that out there. That, that's the biggest thing for me. I mean, y'all are very special and talented people to do that because I catch it with my kids sometimes, so I can imagine how you guys are and when y'all have multiple children asking and, and trying to get your attention and all this other stuff. So I just want to you know, give you guys credit and some props for that. But other than that, I really don't have any questions. Gotcha. Mr. Hargit, your final thoughts. I think the, the big thing from this pandemic, I think parents and guardians have developed an empathy for what educators go through. I think some of them really didn't know the de- all the things that we have to do. And now that as one of my friends said, I got to teach school at home. They're seeing what, what we go through. And I think that's been the biggest lesson for some of the parents. There are a lot of things they weren't aware of that we deal with daily. You know, we're, look, we're social workers. We're caregivers. Look, we're referees. We're bouncers. We have all these job titles. And I think some of the parents didn't realize everything that we do to help their kids be successful. And I think that that's one of the big things that I can't say from the pandemic. I've had people really show me greater appreciation because now they're home with them. They have to help them. And I think, you know, that's been the biggest lesson learned, for I think, for the parents. But I also want to thank the parents from, you know, being patient and showing more commitment to helping their kids. Because, you know, the only way we're going to be successful is going to take everybody, all parties. Thank you. Dr. Gurney, your final thoughts. I think uh, one of the things I, I think that we can take away from this is that we can we can get through anything together. Uh, our community has come together uh, through this more than, than we ever would have predicted. If, if we would have predicted a year ago that we were going to have this kind of pandemic 
and our parents were going to rise to the occasion, our families would rise to the occasion. Uh, I, I don't think we would have thought that it would have gone as smoothly as it has, and not that it has gone smoothly. Uh, I think also, just looking at this as an opportunity, uh, this pandemic uh, had really been incredibly challenging, but we're people of faith, so uh, we remain hopeful that on the other side of this, will come to something better. Uh, there are some positives of this. For instance, in Clayton County, uh, our SPLOSP for us to be a one-to-one -one device district uh, was a three to four year process where students would not have had a device. Most students wouldn't have had a device till about 